So Matthew chapter 25, and we've come a long way. We've been in this. We've been in Matthew now for um, 14 months, and so we're probably on the stretch run. Finish this off somewhere in the summertime and move to a different book. But Matthew 25, if you want to chart with us, we're going to go verses 14 through 30. And you know, if you're out there and watching live, just in the comments, would you just say hi? How you doing? So I just kind of know who's watching. Um, and even if you're watching later on, as you watch later as, uh, in the archives, you know, just you could just say hi that you're watching this also. But this is a story of the talents, the five, two, and the one talent. It's, it's a great story. It's called a parable, a story thrown alongside to illustrate uh, a truth. Um, <clears throat> Jesus is telling this story. Whenever he tells anything, you're smart to listen. Verse 14, we'll pick it up right here because Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of heaven when he started off um, chapter 25. So he's going to give another kind of similar story to illustrate the, the kingdom of heaven. He says, for it is just like a man. What is it is just like it, the kingdom of heaven. It is just like a man. Because if you look, go back to verse 1, in the previous parable, he says, then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable. So he's talking about kingdom of heaven stuff. So verse 14, for it, the kingdom of heaven, is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions uh, to them. <clears throat> now, th there's a few things I want to point out in this first verse here. So, um, the man going on the journey uh, would be God. Um, we would, it's, we'd say it's Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And those slaves, those servants, are followers of Christ. Now, he's entrusting his possessions to them. Now, if you think about it, the master owns the person, the slave, and he owns all the possessions that have been entrusted to the slave, to the person. And this is something you've got to just settle when you become a Christian. And, and I think this is something that's always growing in our experience, but you, you got to settle the fact that, <clears throat> that once you commit to Christ, you are no longer your own and neither am I, but we, we belong to Jesus. And in belonging to Jesus, everything that we have, has, He's given to us, all of our possessions, every talent and ability that He's poured into us, <clears throat> that's owned by God. So He's making that clear from the very get-go that He trusts us with what is His. We are His and all our gifts, talents, and abilities they are his, everything I own, that is his, and he wants me to um, manage it accordingly. Now, <clears throat> verse 15, to one he gave five talents, now notice the differences, to another two talents, to another one, each according to his own Ability. That's an important statement right there. <clears throat> and he went on his journey. Now, every person has been given talents and abilities according to their own ability. See, I've been given what I can handle. You've been given what you can handle. Now, let's take the five, two, and one talent. And let's just, for the sake of, of uh, I guess, being real, every... Almost every one of us is a two-talent person. Let's look at it that way. I know you, we'd all like to think, oh, we're a five-talent person, but uh, no, I, I think the more the exception is we're mostly two-talent people. 
So I'll call myself a two-talent person. But here's the thing that you got to think about. There's, and there's a couple things that I'd like to bring out <clears throat> in this right here. If, um, if you give a two or a one-talent person five talents, what would it do to that person? It would probably destroy them. It would be overwhelming. It would be too much for them to handle. Now, you bosses, and if you oversee people in certain management situations, listen to what I'm going to tell you right now. This is important. If you give a two-talent person, a one-talent person, a five, five talents, it'll overwhelm them. It will destroy them. It will eat them up alive. Now, on the flip side, if you give a five-talent person one or two talents, what will it do to them? Well, it would probably bore them to death. They might even feel insulted in that you just didn't trust them with enough. You see, five-talent people, um, rare that they are, but they are there, you've got to give them enough to keep them going. And you've got to give them enough room to create because these guys and these gals, they're just going to drive, man. They're going to push and they're going to push. So you got to understand uh, the people underneath you. And so Jesus is making a statement that he's given different people different levels of talents. Now, let me tell you what a talent literally is and what's been given to them. So later on when I go back and reference it, it'll reaffirm a thought to you. <clears throat> a Roman talent, this is a this is money, a Roman talent, one of them is worth 6,000 denarii. Now, one denarii is, a, is the average day laborer's uh, income. What they get in a day is one denarii. One talent is <clears throat> 6,000 of those denarii. So the guy with five talents, this man, he has been given 80 years worth of wages. The guy with two talents has been given uh, um, has been given 32 years of wages, and the guy with one talent has been given 16 years worth of wages. So they've all got a lot. They really have, but each one has been given according to their abilities. Now, <clears throat> let me delve into um, something that has bothered me at times in my life, and I think it might have bothered you and every other human on the planet, I think. You ever sit there and just wonder like, you know, God, you know, it's really not fair. Why'd you give that person so much ability? Why'd you give them so much talent? Why, why, why did you give them, man, look at the personality, look at everything that they've got. Why, why'd you give them so much? You ever think that? I've thought that. I thought, you know, why them and why not me? And if I go down that rabbit hole and I start dwelling on that, well, number one, I can get really upset with God. And secondly, I can get really frustrated with myself because I'll start looking at myself like I'm less than when I'm not less than. Now, let me show you something that, not a fun verse, but... You just got to settle it on this verse, and I want to kind of take it and run with it um, a little bit, if I could do that. Turn to Romans chapter 9. Turn to Romans chapter 9. Now watch this. Romans 9. And there's a certain thing that Paul, a New Testament writer, is going to say. 
And he's going to talk about God as, uh, as we contest God as to how come them and not me. Now look at verse uh, 20 and 21 of chapter 9. It says, um, <clears throat> On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded, that's all of us on planet Earth. Every one of us, we're the, we're the molded thing, we're the clay. The thing molded will not say to the molder, the molder is God, will not say, why did you make me this way? Will it? I mean, the clay doesn't speak. But he's saying it, if it could, it's not going to say that to the person molding it. Verse 21, or does the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honor use, another for common use? The answer rhetorically is, that's right. Now, as I was looking at this uh, today, as I was going over the notes and studying this chapter out again this morning for this teaching, something uh, rattled in my head that, yeah, things rattle in my head, <laughs> that, uh, that never rattled before when it comes to verse 20. When, when it says, um, the thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me this way? Will it? <clears throat> now, I thought about the word why in why did you make me this way and then I thought this when it comes to you know we're all different levels of talent and abilities but the the, the word the word why really struck me in that it really determines our success in life determines our attitude in the word why now what do I mean well we can look around and say not fair and say God why did you make me this way or we can look around and see, you know, and say, you know, Lord, why? Why am I created this way? See the difference? One says, why'd you make me this way? Well, that's anger that leads to irritation. The other one, God, why did you make me this way? That's curiosity that leads to illumination. I can be live in irritation or I can live in illumination. I think it's better to live in illumination because the curiousness of it is you're trying to find out why. Why was I created this way? Why was I not given everything that person was given? Why do I have this handicap? Why don't they have that? You know, what is it? You see, when you change the motivation of the word why, then you begin to allow God to speak into your life and you can find out why you are the way you are. Now, can I, can I throw a dagger in deeper on this so that we don't sit here and get stuck on, why did you make me this way? Turn to Isaiah chapter 40, if you, if you're, if you have your Bible or an app right there, if, if you're at home. Isaiah chapter 40, it's, it's, it's kind of a famous chapter, <clears throat> that, you know, the chapter about taking up wings as eagles, it's a great ending to that chapter. But there's a verse before um, that whole, you know, uh, taking up wings as eagles, walk not grow weary, run not get tired. Verse 28, watch what it says about God in verse 28, chapter 40. Do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the, the Lord, the creator, the ends of the earth? He's the creator. Does not become weary or tired. Here's the key for us right now. His understanding is inscrutable. 
Now, inscrutable means that you do not examine it and you do not deliberate over it whether you to decide whether God's right or wrong. It's just what it is. That God is right because God is God. And so we do not deliberate over his understanding or what he does because God is God and we trust it. And so when it comes to God, you know, you made this person that way, why didn't you give me that? It's better instead of going, God, why'd you make me this way? Anger leading to irritation, it's better to say, God, why? Why did you make me this way? Because that's curiosity that leads to illumination and then you can find your purposes in life. Now, <clears throat> let's go back to Matthew 25. Now watch verse 16. It says, immediately, I like that. The one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. Now, immediately means that this guy just boom right out of the gate and went and did something. Let me tell you what, what that means for you and I. That means the man did not live in what if. Okay, what, what if I step out and this goes wrong? What if I, I try this and this blows up? What if I do something with this and I fail and it's the master's money? What if, what if, what if, what if? See, when we live in what if, then we'll never risk. We will never step forward to attempt or do anything beyond what you and I can control. And you and I can do some pretty good stuff within our control, but the great stuff lies outside of our control. That's where the real fruit is because that's where God comes and takes over from there and does things that are beyond our natural abilities and talents. Now, this guy immediately went out and he starts trading. He starts doing something with the five talents. Now watch verse 17. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. So the second guy goes, yeah, he went out and did something with the two. And he, he, he also doubled the money. He doubled it all. So things are going really, really good. But notice verse 18. But he received the one talent, went away. Now notice there's a difference now. The first two in verse 16, they went and traded. There's a key statement there. But in verse 18, the person with one talent, he didn't go away. And he went away. But he didn't, he didn't go away and trade. He just went away. Now, what does he go away and do? He dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, both have the person with five talents and the person with one. They all have, they all have intentions. But there is, two have good intentions. Two, their intentions based on fear. That's why they go different paths. So this man, <clears throat> in verse 18, he went away. He didn't go away and trade. He just went away and he dug a hole. Now, watch this. Did the man with one talent use energy? You better believe it. But it's wasted energy because all he did was dig a hole. Now, what is a hole? Well, let's change the word from a hole to a rut. It's a rut. And when we cease to mm, step out and use what God has given us in our life, we can get into a rut. Let me tell you something about the people who serve versus the people who don't serve. The people that serve Jesus Christ and really do some practical things in life in their serving their life, they don't get in ruts. They rarely get in a rut. But the people that don't serve, then the ruts are all over the place. It gets stale, doesn't it, faith? You know why? Because you're just taking in messages and taking in messages and taking in messages 
and you're not giving anything out. And, and that's dangerous. You know why? Because it's a difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. If you ever go to Israel with us, the Sea of Galilee teeming with life and fish. Why? Water comes in, water goes out. The Dead Sea, dead. You know why? Water goes in, no water goes out. Which one would you want to be? I'd rather be the Sea of Galilee. This man went away, dug a hole, buried it, boom, no outflow, no serving, no doing anything. I want to be the Sea of Galilee. Water flows in, water flows out. Now, let me tell you something about when you serve God for God's purposes. Whatever you choose to do um, by the leading of the Spirit, there should always be a moral attachment to where whatever you're going to do in life and serve. And you can you, you don't have to be in full-time ministry like me. It can be in anything. Let's say your goal is to make a lot of money. Well, why? What's the moral attachment to that? Are you going to use that money to help people? Are you going to use that money to maybe do some things and missions work? Or whatever? What are you going to do on the side with that stuff? Or maybe your goal is to expand in all kinds of businesses. Okay, great, but what are you going to do? What's the moral attachment to that? See, whatever it is, there should be a moral attachment. When Nehemiah... When he decided to go and rebuild the wall, it wasn't just to rebuild the wall. If you read chapter 1 of Nehemiah correctly, you find out that he was deeply concerned that the people were in a bad situation. There was a moral attachment. He's not going to go build a wall just to build a wall. He's going to go build a wall to help people. So there should always be a moral attachment to whatever we do in life. Now, verse 19. Now, after a long time, now that means after a lifetime, or better yet, after, at the end of time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Now, before I get into this, let me tell you that you and I, right now, as followers of Christ, we live between verse 18 and verse 19. Oh, yes, we do. Because right now, we're in the service of God as followers. But there will come a moment in our future where verse 19 happens where God is going to settle accounts with you and I. Oh yeah, you and I are going to stand in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 to about verse 15, 16. We will stand before what's called the Bema Seat of Christ to be judged. Not judged for our sin, follower of Christ. That's under the blood. You never have to worry about that. But we're going to be judged for our works for God. And it names six different things. Wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, precious metals. And all six are going to go through the fire. Wood, hay, stubble will be burned up. There's things that you and I may be doing for God or not doing for God. It's just going to burn up. It won't even matter in eternity. But gold, silver, precious stones, they don't burn up. And by the way, if you know anything about finding that stuff, you know gold, silver, precious metals, it takes much more effort to mine those things out of the earth. So it does take effort to serve God. But God wants us to serve and do works that are gold, silver, precious stones that don't burn up when they stand before Jesus Christ, when he settles accounts to see, let's see what you did. Let's see what you did. You know, people say, well, because you're going to get rewarded for these things. People say, well, I don't want really to care about rewards. You will when you stand before Jesus. Oh, you absolutely will. When he looks into your eyes and, and you know, the, if he asks the question, what, what, what did you do for me while you were alive? Well, uh, uh, I don't want to be, uh, 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 I don't want to be that person. I want to be able to say, man, I did it for you, God. I lived my life for you. 
And I know you do too. So let, let's get off the bench and let's get doing something for, for the kingdom of God. Now, verse 20. The one who had received the five talents. Here it is. He's the master's home. And now they're going to, here's what, they're going to report. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents. You know, that guy's feeling pretty good. Huh? He doubled the master's stuff. Saying, and here's what he tells the master. Master, you entrusted five talents to me. 80 years worth of common man wages. And see, I've gained five more talents for you. Here's what the master says. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. A few things? 80 years worth of wages? That shows you how wealthy the master is and how wealthy our God is and how he can bless and supply and provide for us, my friends. Now, let's get back to verse 21. Notice, he calls him faithful. He doesn't call him distinguished. He says, well done, good and faithful, not distinguished. Let me, let me tell you why that is. There are many people, there are many followers of Christ, lay people and pastors alike that are serving away, ministering away in little places all over the country or in little churches or in, and they'll never be recognized. They'll never be distinguished. Never. That doesn't, that shouldn't bother you because these guys are all getting the same reward. Well done, good and faithful slave. Let me, let, me, let me drill down some more. Let me unpack it. There's a difference between um, prominence and significance. Let me explain this to you. My hand is prominent. You see it. But my liver is significant. Has anyone ever come up to you and said, Oh, whoa, you have a good-looking liver. If someone said that to you, lock them up. But no one ever comes up to you and says, you got a good-looking liver. You know why? Because he can't see the liver. But without the liver, you would die. Without a hand, I could still live. Let me tell you something. I am in somewhat of a prominent position. You see me. I'm up on the stage. I preach. I'm prominent. But I'm not significant. See, there are many of you that serve, and I appreciate it. You serve in the church. You do things that allow me to be prominent. You're the significant ones. Sometimes nobody sees you. They don't see what you do. But you know what? God does, and I appreciate it immensely. And you get the same reward as anyone else. You get the same reward I do. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Now back to verse 21, I want to point out one more thing in there. At the end of it, he says, I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, what's the reward for serving, practically serving God? It's greater responsibility. Let me put it a different way. It's greater opportunity. See, some people always wonder, why don't I get opportunity? Well, are you really serving? Are you pushing yourself? Are you working hard? 
because your boss over you is watching. He watches everyone. And anyone who is very conscientious, works hard, and really takes care of the company, they notice those things. I would notice those things. I can trust those people. And I will elevate those people and give them greater opportunity. And so will your boss. See, and it's not your boss. You are working for God in through that company. And so God is noticing you and he'll put it on your boss's heart. And then that way you elevate. The reward for great service is greater opportunity. Now verse 22. Also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. So the second guy is the same thing. His master said to him, Well done. Good and faithful slave, you are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Hmm. Five talent, two talent, both doubled it. Different levels of responsibility. They get the same rewards, the same rewards. But now comes the turning point. Jesus is telling the story and he knows how to create. He can set these things up well and creates tension. Now watch. And there's a message here. Verse 24, and the one also who had received the one talent. Now, before we read on, remember, one talent is the equivalent of 16 years of a common man's wages in that day. Think about what you were in 16 years. That was handed to the man to do something with. But watch what he says. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. First off, that man's kind of brazen, is he not? Comes right up and says, hey, you know what? Master, I knew you to be a hard man. You reap where you don't sow, you gather where you scatter no seed. In other words, he's saying, you know, all you made me was a dirt field with no seed in it. See, this is where people... Tell God something like, God, you never gave me talent. You never gave me any abilities whatsoever. God, you didn't do this for me. Now, you gotta, you got to look at the picture of what's going to be, because it's an incredible little picture. <clears throat> this man, he says, um, I knew. Master, I knew you. This is, I think this is where, maybe this, maybe this is why, we get frustrated in life and never excel any further. Because he says, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow. He's accusing the master of giving him nothing. Is that a distorted image of the master? You better believe it. What hurts us the most? Distorted images of God based on people in our past? Have you ever thought of it that way? The way we view authority figures in our life or in our past is the way we view God, and that's why you have to transform your thinking. See, he says, I knew you. No, he doesn't really know the, the boss. He doesn't know the master at all. Because he's saying, you gave me nothing. That, in fact, is a lie. And if you don't believe that's a lie, Look at verse 25. Watch this. And I was afraid. You know, when you don't know who God really is and understand His character, you will always be afraid of God. You'll think that every time you sin, He's there with a fly swatter ready to fly swat you out of the kingdom. 
You'll be afraid. You'll be afraid to make a mistake because you'll be afraid to step out. You'll be afraid in your relationships. You'll be afraid that people are going to leave you. You're going to be afraid that people don't like you. You're going to be afraid of everything when you really have a distorted image of God. But when you get the right image of God and you have the Spirit of God infusing in you, you watch your security and levels increase. You won't, you won't walk in fear anymore. <clears throat> he says, I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. So he's confessing to what he did. Now watch his last statement. He says, see, you have what? <clears throat> what is yours? Now, he just told the master, you're a hard man. You reap where you didn't plant. Huh. And you gather where you put no seed. As he's saying that, what's he holding in his own hand? The one talent, 16,000, or 16 years of wages. He's telling, you planted nothing in my life, and he's holding what the man planted in his life, in his hand. Is that wild or what? He's accusing him of, you did nothing for me, and he's holding his hand what the man did for him. How unappreciative we are at times. Or better yet, how blind we are at times to how much God has invested in us. Because one talent, you may say, well, it's just one talent. 16 years worth of wages. That's a lot. See, God has put so much into our lives. And, and see, the real issue here <clears throat> isn't, um, isn't what God has given me. The issue is, what will I do with what God has given me? This man, distorted image of God, therefore he has fear, therefore he buries it, and therefore he, has, he does really nothing with it. And he says, here you go, here you get back what you, here's your, you, what you gave me, go ahead. Now verse 26. But his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where you did not sow and gather, where I scatter no seed. If you knew that, then, verse 27, you ought to have put my money in the bank. In other words, you should have put what you think you're not holding in your hand into a bank account. <laughs> in the bank. And on my arrival, when I come back, I would have received my money back with interest. In other words, that's the least you could have done. You didn't even do the least, he's telling the man. Just go put it in the bank. You'll get a little bit of interest. It's the, in other words, the man did nothing with this, with what God invested in him. That's kind of a tra that's kind of tragedy, isn't it? You spend you live your whole life and you never do what God wants you to do with it. Now verse 28. Therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. Now hold on. Now wait right here. Let me let me show you something. I put my finger so I don't lose my mark. The man lives in fear, right? So therefore, because he lives in fear, he goes away and hides it. Isolation. Therefore, he doesn't even do the least. Therefore, low production compared to what he could have done. Also, he says to the master, you didn't put anything in my life. He blames. Oh, my gosh. You know, people who say it's your fault, it's your fault, it's their fault, it's... It's um, the culture, society's fault. It's, that's the reason why I never got ahead. They'll never make it anywhere. Never make it anywhere. 
You, bl you can blame forever. And I know some of us have had hard lives and grew up in difficult circumstances. But if you follow Christ, your father owns a the cattle on a thousand hills. He opens the doors. This man is blaming. Third thing. What's the fourth thing? What he has has been taken away from him. That's called regret. Do you really want to live with regret? Is this what you want? Sit back and go, why didn't I? I, I don't. I don't. And I have some regrets in my life, but I don't want to. I want to avoid as many of those as possible. Now, now you think to yourself as you watch this. <clears throat> it says, take away the talent, verse 28, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. Not fair! Boy, that wouldn't go over well in today's America with the way they push things now. What's happening here? Well, the guy with more got even more. But why? The greater the risk, the greater the reward. Never forget that. And don't penalize people for taking greater risks and getting greater rewards. Never penalize them because you're going against the Word of God. David comes to the front line in 1 Samuel 17. He says, what will be done for the man who kills this big old giant dumb guy out there? He says, well, he won't have to pay taxes the rest of his life. He gets to marry the king's daughter, you know, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, if you're willing to take that risk and come out alive, you get a great reward. Never forget that in life. And do not fall into the thinking that you know, it's their fault that they're rich or they're bad. They took a great risk. Somewhere in their family land, somebody took a great risk. And nobody should be penalized for that. The greater the risk, the greater the reward. It's just that simple. Well, you say it's not fair. Fair? It's just. It's just. You have the opportunities to push forth and to do something in your life, my friend. You Oh, you certainly do. You're looking at a guy who's the son of a custodian, my dad, and the son of an orange packer at a packing house, my mother. What am I doing sitting here? My mother took a risk. Yeah, she did, and started a business and became very successful. And she springboarded that for all of us. We saw that. And so it gave us a springboard to keep pushing and to take risk. I owe much of who I am to my mother because you took the risks. Don't tell me there are no opportunities in this country. And I'm not going to sit there and myself or teach my kids to blame others and say it's not fair. No, you go out and make it happen because there are opportunities there. Now, now that, let me get off my high horse now, but it is the truth. Verse 29, for to everyone who has, more shall be given. Well, that won't fly today in America, but it's true. And he will have an abundance. Ah, so you can have a lot, and it's okay. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. In other words, you don't do anything with it. The people that take the risk are going to get what you will do nothing with in your life. They're going to get it. Verse 30. Here's, uh, here's the end. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. This is Jesus talking. I'm not making anything up. Outer darkness. In that place... There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, let, let's, 
let, let me just close with these two thoughts. First off, the man's a slave, meaning he's a servant in the kingdom of God. So I don't think this is talking about help at all. I think it's talking about frustration. I can live in fruitfulness or I can live in frustration. But it is my choice. We've all been given talents and abilities. It's not how much we've been given. It's what we do with what we've been given. And let's do something good for the kingdom of God.